0: Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all
1: of our Liberty Loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston. Our co-host is not here today, but luckily I'm joined by two much better-looking and cooler co-hosts. Uh, I've got Josiah Baker and Michael Heiss. How are you guys doing today?
2: Doing good, man. Perfect. I appreciate the compliment. I'm working out. <laughs> That's good.
1: <laughs> listen, everyone in our live group, they will agree that, I mean, this is just top-notch right here. If we could keep it like this every day. You guys going to be in town for a while. We could just keep doing this. Be uh, fine. Yeah. Okay. Josiah, I mean, seriously, I'm going to call you up. Charlie's gone all the time. Well, uh, listen, we already know about Josiah. He's already been on the show. We'll, we'll get back to him later. Michael, this is the first time that we've had you on the show and you are the the chair and the founder of the Mises Caucus. From what I hear, one of the worst things to ever happen to libertarianism in the history of
2: libertarianism. So why don't you tell us about yourself? Depends on who you ask. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, as you said, I'm the, the chair and the founder of the Mises Caucus. Um, we're kind of uh, the Ron Paul insurgency in the Libertarian Party that just took over the Libertarian Party. So very, very happy and proud to say that Ron Paul people have completely taken over all of the leadership Uh, of the Libertarian Party, uh, with the idea of actually having a long term plan, perhaps for the first time in the entire history of the party, Um, you know, and kind of just get back to principle, get back to, you know, a proper understanding of Austrian economics, which is, you know, really key in the current moment that we're in with the inflation and kind of bring back the community and the energy of that Ron Paul revolution and bring it into the LP. It's that first time with a long term plan. I mean, from what I can tell, we've got
1: like a hundred year plan that we're already working on with the Libertarian Party. I mean, that's <laughs> well, How much more long term can you go than that? Sorry, I'm. I guess I'm going to dog on the uh, the the old Libertarians. <laughs> Most They're Libertarians do. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's good. <laughs> uh, Josiah, real quick, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself as well for everyone who doesn't already know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, been in Tennessee nine years. Chair of the. That mic down to you chair of the montgomery county party until they you know if uh, if something happens there <laughs> um, and uh, i'm currently running for state chair of the libertarian party of tennessee and um been got involved in libertarian party 101 honestly because i didn't realize i was friends with mike on facebook i used to tour manage I- ironically i was on a tour with the band Contortionists that we're going to see tonight kind of come full circle. Yeah, um, I was on tour with them with the opening act, and apparently at the Baltimore show, had uh, he's such a hustler. He we became Facebook friends from the merch booth or something at some point. And fast forward, I'd been a libertarian since I guess 2012-ish. That Ron Paul run really got me questioning my uh, neocon roots growing up in the mm. the belt buckle of the Bible Belt, and got to looking on Facebook one day and kept seeing somebody posting things I agreed with. And sent a message to Mike, and Mike's like, hey, you should check out what we're doing. And I'm like, yeah, I've never been a part of that party, whatever. And he's like, yeah, I'll check it out anyhow. And so uh, fast forward, here we are. Uh,
2: Mike, how long have you been a libertarian before that? Oh, God. So I would say I originally became a libertarian back in 2007 or 2008, so I was probably about 18 years old. Okay. Um, and then even prior to that, while this isn't libertarianism proper, I'd gotten into like Alex Jones and, and uh, conspiracy theories and 9-11 truth when I was like 14. That's what got me into libertarianism, too, just, just so you guys yeah. know. No, there is a there is a real conspiracy to yeah. libertarianism pipeline. It's not appreciated <laughs> enough. Uh, what do you it, think
1: it is about that? Because I, I just want to say real quick before we, you know, some people think, oh, there's a bunch of crazy guys right here. I That's what got me into it. I'm not really on that whole train anymore, but I feel like it got me to question my beliefs, and that's what it was. Do you think that's what it was for you, too?
2: Uh, by the time— I had encountered libertarianism proper in the concepts, I had already known that the government was capable of great evil. Mm-hmm. Um, so to kind of understand them as a as a roving gang of thieves uh, it wasn't really uh, like a, a a paradigm shift at that point. It's like, oh, now it just makes the, everything make sense. You know, like their actions make a lot more sense when you look at them that way.
1: You don't think that they're just here to make our lives better and take care of people that need help?
2: Just with health care.
1: <laughs> just health <laughs> I got you. They can take over that. Won't be any problems at all. So tell me about this Mises Caucus thing. We had we had Angela McCardle on the show a couple days ago. That was a really fun interview. Anyone listening, if you didn't listen to it, go back and do that after you listen to this one. But tell me about how this whole Mises Caucus thing came about. Why did it need to happen?
2: How difficult was it to make it happen? So... My, I'm, I'm a creature of the the liberty movement. I've spent a lot more of my time uh, as a part of the liberty movement than the libertarian party. Um, and just like a lot of libertarians, I was like one of these people who are like, I'm never joining libertarian party. It's a clown show and all of this. Um, and uh, you know, I came, I got involved with the Ron Paul revolution, and met this whole community. You know, this underground world that we call the liberty movement, and I found my tribe after that. And, uh, you know, I felt really alienated prior to that, found my home, found my people, never looked back. Um, so, but then there was kind of this thing that happened after the Ron Paul campaign where the energy started dissipating. There wasn't a unified call to action. There wasn't a unified, like le- a unifying leader. Uh, and and people kind of just started, you know, going their own way, it became very disparate. And, uh, you know, fast forward to 2016, Rand Paul was running for president. So, you know, I was supporting Rand Paul, hoping that he would kind of capture that lightning in a bottle a second time. But, you know, he's just playing a fundamentally different game than Ron. Ron is playing an ideas game. Rand is playing a politics game. And uh, so that did not work. You know, it fizzled out. The And, uh, you know, I was kind of left with like, all right, what do I do now? And uh, it was at that point that I looked at the Libertarian Party for the first time. And, you know, at that point, I had kind of done a little of everything. I had done writing. I had done podcasting. I had done man on the street interviews. I had done events. And I knew by that point that I wanted to find one project and stick with it in the long term. So I threw an end the Fed rally in Philadelphia and for the first time featured a a bunch of Libertarian Party candidates and like 300 people showed up. So that was where I was like, okay, maybe this can work. So I actually supported Gary Johnson in 2016, getting my feet wet in the party. And it was just a, a night and day experience between the Gary Johnson campaign and the Ron Paul revolution. Uh, it it just completely lacked the spirit and the soul and the energy of of the Ron Paul revolution you know that that felt like we were like a ragtag movement of people like you know saving the world whereas the Gary Johnson campaign felt like very amateur politics you know people didn't know what they were doing the messaging was was very milk toast uh, it wasn't inspiring people were fighting with each other all the time so I, you know, it was in the aftermath of that that I started kind of comparing the experience of the Ron Paul Revolution with the Gary Johnson campaign, and basically just said this party needs the Ron Paul Revolution. So you know, from Ron Paul, intellectually, I went into Mises and Rothbard and, and Hayek and and uh, in Hans Hermann Hoppe and all this stuff. So that's kind of the the intellectual basis for it. But I would say the spiritual, like the, the spirit of it is is Ron Paul. So I started it. And the same day that I started the Facebook group for the caucus, the uh, now disgraced former chair of the party um, had said that the Mises Institute is the preferred think tank of Nazis. So then I woke up the next day and there was like 600 people and like, like pissed off and caps in my group. And it just has been a, a, you know, a stone going downhill ever since. So
1: (laughs) what are your ties to Nazis exactly? (laughs) Botons. Kidding, I just keep what hearing there's they? a bunch of, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> what are they? <laughs> no, so there's a lot of stuff there. You mentioned vo- voting for Gary Johnson in 20. 20- I, I definitely understand how that felt different from the Ron Paul movement. I I was a libertarian at the time and couldn't even vote for Gary Johnson. I, I just, there were a couple of fundamental problems that I have with it. I got one weird question though to ask. We keep talking about the Ron Paul revolution, Ron Paul w- was a Republican. Is that so? I've asked this a bunch to a lot of people. Is it? Do you ever think it's valuable to have that platform? Because I don't know what we would be doing right now if Ron Paul hadn't ran as a Republican. And that's a weird question to ask with a bunch of libertarians sitting around. But it's a real question. Oh yeah. You know what? What do you
2: think when that kind of situation comes up? I think we're in an unprecedented time right now. As and I mean that specifically as libertarians. Uh, I, I think when Ron ran as a Republican. It made a lot a lot of sense, especially back then. He had the ready-made access. But the big thing is that at that time, all of the information was still more or less completely filtered through the corporate press. That's gone. That's completely blown up. Um, so like we now have access to Joe Rogan with Dave Smith. We now have, you know, Tim Poole has libertarians on all the time. Um, you know, we, we're getting access to more media, more alternative outlets. You know, there's this whole patchwork of podcasts out there, and some of them we don't even know. like I, uh, you know, I've seen Maj Tore go on podcast. I've never heard of the podcast, and then I look him up on, on Maj's recommendation. I'm like, "Freaking guy's a million and a half subscribers," you know. And so there's this huge p- patchwork out there, and I'm saying that to say that we as libertarians now have access to an audience, consistent access to an audience in a way that we have never had before. And the majority of these platforms are they're not the same like format as media, where it's like little sound bites, and you can't really discuss the ideas, you can't discuss nuance. It's long form communication. So I think because of that, we have to engage that audience and engage those platforms on our own terms with our own narrative. And again, it's kind of like the difference between Ron and Rand. You know, Ron was an ideas guy. The Libertarian Party is an ideas party. Like we know that we're not a a political force. We're not gonna come in and we're gonna win the presidency and all this crap. Um, But then you look at Rand Paul, even in the Republican party, there's people who, if you were to ask them, there's no difference between Rand Paul and Trump. Now we we're libertarians we know enough to know that that's pretty silly but that's not the point the point is is he has ingratiated himself to the GOP so much he's wrapped in their narrative and their culture so much that he's Trump We have to shed that baggage we have to come out and engage these people with our own ideas our own narrative our own culture and 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 cultivate that from the ground up and and shed all of the baggage and 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 you know make our own road of it do you think that uh, in the attempt to do that, that's why so many
1: people have gone towards the racism and fascism and all that, because they're trying to create that
2: baggage for this type of movement? Well, there's that. And then, then the, the changes that we have created to the party are are substantial. Um, you know, the party for years and years now and, and part of it's a holdover of like the, the press having kind of that uh, that narrow throughway to the people. But the party has been wanting to be friends with the press for a long time. That you know, we want the media attention. We need to get in the debates. We have to get coverage, um, so that they would kind of contort themselves into supporting their narratives in the in the vain hope that they would, you know, get supported by them. We're bucking that. You know, we're anti woke. We're anti press. The press is, is you know the the propaganda arm of the regime. They they are the thing that that uh, circulates the narratives that uphold the state. Um, so we're not begging for that attention, and we're going completely around them to these new mediums. So of course, as that becomes more and more systemic, as they lose more and more control and more and more market share to to these new platforms, they're going to have to demonize and attack everything that that comes with that. That's why they're saying Joe uh, Joe Rogan is ingesting horse paste. That's why they're you know like we're racist. You know mm-hmm. we don't we're we're bucking back against the progressive narrative and, and the media itself. So I. W- I the
1: I was gonna mention this earlier, but I'm not a member of the Libertarian Party yet. Josiah yeah. knows this. He's been working on me for a little yeah. bit. And he said, Well wait, So you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> <laughs> wait till he's like, wait till I bring my guy Michael in here. He's gonna be able to turn this around. Now I talked to um I talked to Angela and that was uh, that was very helpful too. Uh, I'm I'm still working on it. Like I I it's like I wanna do it, but I have these reservations and I really wanna know what the plan is going forward because I wanna know that I'm not just wasting my time or any energy that I might expend in the process. And of course, with all the stuff that people are throwing out there, uh, you also wanna make sure that you're not associated with something that is actually bad. And I'm really good at picking through all the BS, so I know, <laughs> you know that's not really a problem right now. But anyway, like, tell me a little bit about the plan that you, you have, I know Josiah has told me some stuff, I'm like, what are we going to do to be different from what
2: the last regime was doing? Gotcha. So, um, we, the caucus, we have what we call our four prong strategy. Um, now I will say that 80% of our effort has gone into one of these prongs up to this point, And that was the takeover, the takeover of the libertarian party. That is one prong that we call party organizing. So that's recruiting people, creating new county uh, affiliate parties, you know, organizing for their state conventions, all of that stuff. Um, you know, growing the party itself. That's prong one. Uh, prong two is issue coalitions. So this is as simple as just taking stock of where you are locally. It's it's important to understand that our whole strategy is foundationed upon uh, localism and decentralization and nullification. So that's kind of the the in terms of our actual political efforts, that's, that's where we're aimed. So the issue coalition stuff is something as simple as just taking stock of your locality. Um, you know, whether you're a red town or a blue town and then kind of exploit the gap that exists between the political establishment there and the rank and file. So for example, you know, if you're in a, a really red town, chances are the rank and file there are supportive of the second amendment. Um, but they might not, you know, the, 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 politicians that are elected there, they might not be as strided in their support for the Second Amendment as the rank and file. So we can exploit that gap and come in with ready-made legislation for, say, a gun sanctuary and, and push the right to be better on the issues of overlap with us. We have to come in and be the catalyst, though. We have to be the thing to push it. And the same thing with the left. If you're in a highly blue town and they don't have decriminalization, we have already got ordinances ready to go for that. I've done this in my town. I live in a, in a 70% blue town. Um, and got weed decriminalized this way. So you know that's that's the issue coalition strategy, working with groups that are not libertarian to kind of get those areas of overlap and kind of leave everything else at the door. Um, and then the third prong is candidates. Now, historically, the party has been very throw spaghetti at the wall and see what <laughs> sticks we're going to we're going to be all things to all people. We're going to run for everything because that's the the purpose of a political party that's that's not us. We're a lot more realistic. Um, So I would say there are races that are winnable and there are races that are unwinnable from our position as a third party. Senate, not winnable. Congress, not winnable. City council is winnable, though, you know, and and, uh, so city council is a really, really important seat. And I think a lot of people are rediscovering how important these seats like sheriff and city council and mayor and school board are uh, in the aftermath of the covid regimes. So. To the extent that we're running to win, we want to aim at these positions like city council, sheriff, mayor, school board, seats that A, can be won, and B, if they were won, they could nullify the feds. That's the big thing, nullifying the feds. And then in terms of these unwinnable races like Senate, like president, we have a different view than the party has historically had. They Again, they run these races to win. We're of the understanding that, you know, Libertarianism is going to have to be successful as a cultural movement before it can even hope to be successful as a political movement. So these unwinnable races, they're more, I would say, marketing and recruitment campaigns. You know, people will get out there and get the message, but then they'll just do um, a get out the vote effort instead of, no, 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 come with me, you know, and then funneling that back down to this local level activity. That's the strategy there. So local radical messaging to, to um, get our narrative into the, the ether. And then use the recruitment off that to funnel back into this local uh, decentralist slash nullification efforts. And then finally, the fourth and final prong is we call it liberty culture. So this is you know trying to form relationships with influencers of any type. Could be a podcast, or it could be uh, a, you know a politician, or it could be um, you know a band, or or something in the artistic field. Trying to um, you know create a space where liberty can be talked about in the wider culture and just getting out beyond our bubble. Because again, that's where the change actually is. It's, it's in that culture. And you know, we, we've been, tra- we've been trained to think because of the left has like marched through all the institutions and they've already won the culture war and they won the institutions, and they won pop culture and all this stuff. We're, we're being trained to think that culture is something that gets pushed from the top down, but any, in any organic sense, it emerges up from the family through the community. And that's again, another reason why we engage in this localist strategy because in the organic sense, when you're running at that space or you're operating at that space, the culture is what you're engaging with. So we want to plant seeds there all over the place to kind of create this patchwork of screw screw you to the feds wherever we can get it. So that's that's the overall strategy.
0: End it right there. Gonna- I like that.
2: <laughs> That's
0: it, good.
1: It makes sense, right? Josiah, you're right, man. That's who well, I needed to talk to. Um,
0: well, what, what happens LP. is... LP.org slash joint. Yeah. <laughs> what happens is through our thumbs and our laptops, things get filtered and watered down, and, and it's easy to, to receive this type of information second, third, fourth hand so that it's it becomes a game of Mad Libs. Mm. And, it's, and things are skewed in certain ways to think that, well, it's just about piss and vinegar. It's not about piss and vinegar. That's a great tool to leverage towards activism, but it's, I'm, I mean, I'm a huge proponent of, of I can chew gum and walk. And, and that's why like the emphasis, like we have local libertarian candidates elected and reelected in the state of Tennessee. It's beautiful. They were elected without the support and energy that we're trying to, in, you know, mm-hmm. infuse into that. I mean, I, I get chills thinking about the possibilities. And when you're able to break that down in a nice elevator uh, pitch, To someone, I don't know anybody that doesn't really hear that in good faith and go, okay, I can see how that's doable. Because realistically, you know, I I blame the Robin Williams movie, Man of the Year, for a lot of like illusions of grandeur of, oh, we can accidentally win a third party presidential race. Not to say that can happen, but let's give it a couple hundred years Mm. because the culture is so far over here. Um, Winning, I mean, how can, honestly, though, from a responsibility standpoint, how can we? in good faith say that we deserve that when we can't win our own backyards. And yeah. this is a playbook of winning our own backyards, winning our, our local communities, step-by-step, street-by-street, and building a foundation. Otherwise, we're building a house on the sand with no solid foundation here. And that's why this is a viable thing to me. And that's, 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 that's my pitch to run for state chair, because we're gonna be able to do this in Tennessee, we got a good head start, and we actually have a playbook. Instead of playing backyard football twenty four seven what libertarians have to realize and it sounds like you
1: guys have is that we, what would happen if we elected a libertarian president right now in twenty say twenty twenty four a libertarian gets elected, they would get impeached by the end of january
0: oh yeah they 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 would be gone it it would be or worse <laughs> I mean it would it would probably be or worse because impeachment is already the Overton window on that doing yeah, anything has yeah. moved I,
2: th- <laughs> I, I think the bigger question and Dave Smith has brought this this up is. What would what would what will have had already happened to the country on a cultural level for a libertarian to win the White House? The winning the White House. If if politics is downstream from culture, winning the White House is just kind of the 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 political manifestation of what is already the established cultural pattern. That's the big thing there. Yeah. And we're much closer to electing AOC than we are to electing Dave Smith, in my opinion, right now, unfortunately. Uh, no offense to as a, to as a total net culture i, I don't guess, know yeah, about uh, that really? i uh, the reason i say that is i hope I, you're right i didn't i didn't, I'm, I'm I didn't see it. the video so i'm, I'm saying this second hand but apparently there was just a town hall in her district where she it. got grilled really hard and and you know yeah. see it was like visibly taken aback maybe you mm-hmm. can yeah i did i did see that they were grilling her on
1: being uh you know against the uh, i guess the establishment the war about her supporting the uh, all the money we're sending to Ukraine and all that, and and uh, yeah, it was it was really good. We'll probably play it on the show sometime uh, next week. And I hope that I hope that those little cracks are appearing. I think we get little wins every now and then where we notice that the culture is kind of changing a bit. And you see it in the market too. You see all these people that are getting their shows canceled mm-hmm. and anchors, you know, losing their spots, and the, the market starts to speak. Like people aren't really uh, down with that as much as they would like to think people are down with
0: that. So I guess uh, hopefully you're, you're right about that whole thing. One of the dangerous things too about people like The Squad and AOC, because I listen to a ton of actual leftists like Jimmy Dore, because they're, they're a good litmus test of how actual leftists who probably have read a book are. And they call people like The Squad and AOC, they're basically extreme centrist captured. They're, they're lipstick leftists. <laughs> they they can say the things they 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 can talk in the primary, but when they get in there, they're no different than McConnell. They're no different than uh, any anybody else that's been up there 127 years. They are corporatists to the core. They they don't they they know how to say the words. Actions don't matter, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, um, traditionally. But they're they're just as they're just as middle of the road as anybody else up there. Once they get there. And actual leftists will tell you that. I mean, I, I, lo- I listen to Jimmy Dore as much as I do Ben Shapiro because I like to hear um, – it's it's a really hu- really hard to listen to both of them. It's almost like <laughs> panned, one pan left, one pan right, but you get a good boiled down state of where people that are true believers in their stances are. Yeah. Um. And so I try, I try to do that. I got big ears so I can pick up. I have up. a hard time
1: listening to leftists talk about so – I get really frustrated. I will admit I have an easier time listening to Ben Shapiro than – than oh yeah yeah else. I, I mean on certain things yeah.
0: absolutely absolutely Door, I love Jimmy Door because he is really good on on war
2: yeah he's also funny
0: he's he is funny <laughs> that is, that does make things go down sweeter um he also added Kurt Metzger, which is a great writer um, from comedic efforts but but that's enough on that.
1: I, uh, speaking of, uh, I don't know, some people on the left that are getting close, they're good on some things. Like what about Rogan? We've been talking about him a lot lately. He's so close. What mm. would you say to him to push him over the, I mentioned on the podcast a couple days ago that I was disappointed that he's talked to Dave Smith so many times and that he still was like, oh yeah, we got to have UBI, man. Got to, got to do that. But then you hear him talking to the founder of the Rolling Stone saying like, oh, you can't have the government. Uh, regulating the internet, they'll just do it in their own best interest. You can't trust them to do that. They lied us into Iraq and and uh, horse paste and and all this stuff. It's like he gets it. He's so close. What is it for people that they can't push over that
2: edge? What do you think? For me, I think a big part of it is, and I think I got lucky in this sense. Um, in order to have a, a change in your uh, such a radical change in your worldview, especially when you're, you know, he's in his fifties, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's There's a sense in which you kind of have to um, contravene your whole lived experience or your identity to a certain extent. And that could be a very painful thing to do. Um, so I mean, I will say I'm just I'm grateful that he is in the position he's in and as open-minded as he's in. I don't necessarily need him to to be a libertarian. I need him to platform libertarians and let the kind of the marketplace of discussion and ideas, you know, go from there. because as far as I'm concerned, one thing that that Ron Paul did do is he showed that, if you put these ideas in front of millions of people and you talk the shit right, it sticks. It sticks, and it can create a cultural movement. So I think I that's that's my main thing with Rogan. If he fully comes to our side, great. I, I have it on good authority though that that he he supports Dave. You mm-hmm. know, so um, that would be interesting. To he see. did tell him not to run for president last he time he was on there. Heard that, that, that. Now, no.
0: now to to piggyback on that, if you watched the past two weeks, Dave's last episode. he did something monumental. Number one, he gave Rogan the exact playbook talking points that he then turned on the Mm -hmm. founder of Rolling's That was the exact verbatim. He memorized it to the T, it's beautiful. Um, Secondly, while Tulsi was on, he made her watch the entire video Dave made him watch about full context of what the Obama administration did with the coup in Ukraine for full context of a nuanced conversation. Once again, for those folks in internet land, this is not saying Vladimir Putin is my homie. Not saying that. (laughs) Um, some some of these folks, you have to do that. It's it's almost like biblical. Walk 27 steps and do a sacrifice and say something <laughs> for some folks to, to, to engage with you. Putin's not awesome, but context is awesome if you want to be correct and truthful. And that is beautiful when you're sitting there watching Tulsi Gabbard with Rogan, seeing something she said she's never seen, nodding her head. Yes, this is amazing. And it was there because Dave went on Rogan and sowed that seed, and Joe's watering it for how many sets of bros lifting weights in their basement watching (laughs) it. Like, that's huge. Once again, culture. Mm -hmm. You can't get that elsewhere. You know what's so weird? You're talking about uh,
1: musicians, artists, stuff like that. I feel like when I was in high school, it was cool to be against the establishment, like, as an (laughs) artist. You know, but have you noticed now Yeah, it's really, you know, like Rage Against the Machine. Oh, dude. Or, I remember I was real big into System of a Down stuff mm-hmm. like that. And everything was just this anti-government stuff that you would hear all the time. It's so weird now to me that everything is just like pro-government, oh,
2: pro-establishment. Pro-corporatism. Pro, yeah. It's yeah. so <laughs> weird. Speaking of System of a Down, because their, their Toxicity album was like really good. And that mm-hmm. that became a major thing. And then I've, I've gone back and listened to uh, Prison Song mm-hmm. from that recently. It's like... Oh my God! The statistics are so much worse now. <laughs> like, like, we need an updated version. <laughs> but here's the thing: I don't believe that it actually is uh, uh, pro pro establishment. And and the reason I say that is we live in a, an algorithmic world now, um, and we live in a very manicured world. And uh, but once once you start to scratch the surface, you see that it's it, it is uh, in fact artificial. You know, I think you see this when you see um, you know like the the. Uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, if like a new Dave's uh, Dave Chappelle special comes out, like the the official reviewers, it's like, this guy's a transphobe. Mm-hmm. And then you look at the audience reviews and it's like funniest motherfucker I've ever seen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like and yeah. and uh, you know there there's that kind of stuff all the time. You know, there's um uh movies and games that fail when they incorporate wokeness. Mm-hmm. Um you know the approval rates. I I think more of what it what it really is is I think people just don't know what to do. I I think people like have a sense that this is an artificial world. This is an artificial narrative. We are being algorithmically locked into believing that these narratives are are popular when they're not. But people just don't know what to do. There's no unifying thing. And that's that's what we need to cultivate. Well, you know, like uh, you mentioned the Putin thing earlier
1: and you had the disclaimer. Putin is not our homie. You know, (laughs) we have to do the same thing all the time. That happens with, with everything now. It doesn't matter what it is that you talk about. Oh, we talk about Trump. We were talking a little about Trump before the show. When we talk about him on here, we're like, hey, listen, we didn't vote for him. I get it. He did a lot of bad stuff, did some good stuff. you got to give these disclaimers because everything's so binary right now. There's no nuance opinion on on anything. Do you think that's just a consequence of algorithms and... I've seen the extreme narrative all the I time. Think,
0: I think intellect, um, critical thinking has almost been bred out via algorithmic design so that that when you give those disclaimers, those are actually asterisks. Those are audible asterisks to people mm-hmm. just like citing something for, for context in an article. That's what we're doing when we say that because we know exactly how the folks are programmed to think. They hear that buzzword, they're, they're on Family Feud, and what is racist? What is Nazi? What is – so if you don't give that asterisk, we feel like we're not doing our due diligence as an audible journalist or whatever, when in reality, it's, it's, it's a waste of calories. But I guess, I guess we view folks as wasting calories worthwhile. I don't know. Do you think that's a big difference with the messaging between the Mises
2: caucus movement and the Libertarian Party and the previous – Oh yeah. You? Oh yeah, because that's part and parcel of maintaining the narrative the 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 corporate press narrative, you know, because they're still trying to get in their good graces where we want to smash the whole thing. Like and and uh again, I say I'm a big white pill guy. So I mean, <laughs> but but um you would be with the word white in it. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh you know, even these things, who really is bought into these narratives that, that, oh, well, if you have any questions about how this all happened, you're pro-Putin. Uh, it's boomers. It's 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 people who are already kind of a captive base. But then again, we'll take Dave Smith, for example. He was just on Rogan. Uh, there was like, what, 12, 13, 14 million listeners. And then they cut out one clip and put it on YouTube. And it happens to be his whole soliloquy on, on the background of Ukraine. And that has five and a, uh, five and a half million views. And then you look at the comments and it's, it's supportive. It's, yeah, this is the information we need. I really think that the narratives that they're putting out are, are a lagging indicator because they are trying to appeal to an aging, an increasingly aging voter base uh, that, that is, for all intents and purposes, living in a different world than people who are in the, like living in the modern day with how fast information moves and how fast ideas move and all of that. That's going to eventually have to catch up. It's just a matter of does the great reset happen before that catch up? Happens. Well,
1: it's like Ron Paul's. They hate us because we're over there. Yeah, You know that they attacked us because we're over there. Well, Now, a lot of boomers, they probably got really upset about that. That means you're a blame America first, or I think is what we were calling people back at that time. Uh, I don't think anyone said that you were pro bin Laden or anything, no. but that's I guess that's what it's morphed into now. But to younger people. That idea really, really stuck out. You know, I guess that because it wasn't so entrenched in your in your mind, your identity, uh, yeah, yeah, your whole identity. You've been living years thinking, thinking that they hate us because we're free or whatever it is. And it took some time for that to grow into that movement afterwards. And he was hated for saying it and booed when he said it. But now that's that Ron Paul moment that we all that we all talk about. So I, I guess. That's what I like about the idea with the messaging. The messaging is why I left the Libertarian Party in the first place. I was a member of the
0: party, and I I left. You didn't want to bake the cake, or did you (laughs) despise a year with no stance on COVID?
1: The cake is why I didn't vote for Johnson in 2016, which I hate the fact that that's the reason, because I think it's uh, morally despicable to discriminate against people because of uh, whatever. Like, I think that's terrible. I don't want anyone personally to do that. Here's my disclaimer. There's my yeah. asterisk on the thing. Yeah. <laughs> I hate that. But you should be allowed to do that if you want to. Like, you can't force someone to associate with someone if they Why don't want to. Why would you want to
0: give money to a bigot? I know. That's my biggest thing about association. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But with Gary, <laughs> uh, that is so fundamental to libertarianism. You know, no matter how terrible you think it is, you should be able to choose who you're going to associate with and not associate with. And the market with. will put
0: you out of business. Yeah.
1: And when he when that came out, I was like, this dude, okay, he says some stuff I like, but he doesn't get it. He doesn't have that foundation that that I'm talking about that I have here. So everything else is probably just fake as hell. Is how I you know, I don't I don't know him personally, so maybe it's not, but that's where he lost me. Then twenty twenty it became the uh, oh I don't know what we have like a tweet about the uh, riots and the uh, COVID, you know, locking people in it their houses without and destroying the economy. It goes without it goes saying, without saying.
0: <laughs> it goes without
1: saying. Yeah. We're trying to hit the Libertarian is <laughs> there to hit on the tough issues that no yeah. one's talking about at all. Now listen. I know you take one look at me and think, Nate, you're a stone-cold fox. I bet you've been reeling into ladies with that beautifully bearded face for years. That's actually not the case. I've never been able to grow a respectable beard until the last couple months. What did I find out? Having a great-looking beard requires work. Whether it's beard growth oils, styling products, top-of-the-line trimmers, there's A ton of products out there to help you grow your best beard. I thought it was just going to happen all on its own, just overnight. But guess what? I'm not that guy. I can't do it. I've never been that guy. But luckily, Beard Club is here to help. As the leader in beard-first men's growth and grooming, Beard Club delivers quality hardware and consumables that'll help you get a better, thicker, and fuller-looking beard. Now, listen, every morning I get up and I use the beard oil from Beard Club. I take my beard growth vitamins as soon as I get to work. At night, I use the beard growth spray. And a couple times a week, I use the derma roller, which stimulates those stubborn, lazy hair follicles that have been letting me down all these years. That's right. I got the beard growth kit from the website. And if you've had a lot of issues like I have, uh, then that's the one that I would personally recommend. But if you're already on track and you're already growing that beard, they got a lot of really great products too. I'm just I'm just not up that ladder yet. But after a couple months using these products, holy crap, my beard is actually looking better, fuller, more legit, and I finally have the confidence to go to a Libertarian Party convention and hang out with all those other classical libertarian beards. So head over to BeardClub.com/gml. Take the beard quiz and use my code GML at checkout. They'll recommend the best beard kit that's tailored to fit your needs. No matter what type of beard you have, Beard Club has the perfect kit to fit your needs. Beard Club, over 2 million beards served. Grow your best beard today and take 20% off your first order when you go to beardclub.com slash GML. Use code GML. That's beardclub.com slash GML.
2: Once again use code gml for 20 percent off your first order gary johnson was was the the high watermark for the types of people that that were kind of running the party before this because like i said they were they're running to win these races and mm-hmm. that kind of thing so you know they'll look at that and they'll say well gary johnson got 4.3 million votes it's the most votes that we've ever gotten in a, for a presidential candidate in the party Uh, in its whole history isn't that a huge success Uh, and then my answer to that is okay I guess that's a success along certain metrics sure but um, where's the movement where's the Gary Johnson movement where like because there's a Ron Paul revolution that lasts to this day you know and and but he didn't get 4.3 million votes Gary Johnson did where's that nobody can answer that question you know, where's all the members that he brought into the party? Where's all these like people who were like, you know, I heard Gary Johnson speak. And then it just like made me want to read like a thousand page libertarian <laughs> manifesto, man. Like I was so inspired. It, does, it doesn't It does exist because it was fundamentally a political movement. It wasn't an ideas movement. And, and ideas inform our actions and then the actions change the culture. So like we have to get, hit people in the mind first. It was on the Tulsi episode this past week with Rogan. He said it
0: verbatim. I voted for Gary Johnson twice and I voted for Jorgensen twice and it was a protest or once and it was a protest vote because mm-hmm. I had to hold my nose and I, th- I said, why not? This is a protest vote. We want more than a protest vote. Yeah. We want, we you know, the, we're tired of playing defense. Um, have someone who can speak the values with convention, conviction, inspire, and have someone, give someone a reason to vote for you, not, you know, whatever. And, and we'll continue to infect uh, this culture, and I will say this too earlier. Um, obviously, because this is some pushback that you get to, oh, you guys are just about alt-media. There's, there's, there's value in cable news. Yeah, there is. Guess what? what? Tune into Michael Rechtenwald this week, who's going to be on yeah. Laura Ingram? He's not on the B-list channels. He's on the A-list channels. Maj, on the A-list channels. CPAC. You know, yeah, he's yeah CPAC. C-PAC mm-hmm. yeah. Like, like we, we, we can get those. It's not like we're not chewing gum and walking. We're chewing gum, walking, and blowing bubbles. You just got to pay attention.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, Dave Smith is already getting on the biggest show that there is out there. Yeah. So, I mean, arguing about media attention, you're talking about a bunch of shows that have way less people watching yeah. them than, than Rogan. And so- I
0: understand the, the demographic age split versus dollars spent towards campaign metric. I agree. That's why Dave is on Kennedy 24-7. That's why, you know, Maj is on CPAC giving speeches. That's why Michael Rechtenwald is literally out pushing his new book all this week on Fox Mm-hmm. Fox,
2: not, not business, Fox. Well, and Dave also gets on more corporate press than anybody yeah. else, too, because not only does he get on Kennedy, but he's friends with Greg Gutfeld. He used to have a, a talking spot on uh, the Se Cup show. I don't want to name drop, but Dave might be on a Fox News sh- proper show here soon. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'll just leave it at that. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, he just uh, talked with, uh, not Laura, uh, Megan Kelly. He was just mm-hmm. on there. He was just on Dr. Drew. Um you know, so there's just nobody who's getting the message out more, in my opinion, than Dave Smith. And I don't think it's particularly close, whether it's alternative or corporate. Does that mean that that should be the guy that is the the candidate?
0: Yes. 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 Yeah. I'm 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 down.
2: Because <laughs> because here's the other metric. Not only is he getting out there and and, you know, saying this stuff to people, but the result of him, he's also producing the most results in terms of uh, changing the party itself or, or growing the party itself. You know, there's a lot of people that I'm friends with that, that do good work in the party, um, but they don't have this explosive membership growth in the party to where they could, I don't know, take over the Libertarian Party. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's Dave, it's, 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 it's people like that who are bringing the people in. And you got to ask, why are they that much more motivated than the audience of any, any of the other figures that we have? I got
1: I uh, he would get my vote if he is running. I I've, I've had some reservations in the in the past, but those are dissipating pretty quickly. Um I understand the media attention thing. I have to speak out for someone that I absolutely love though. I I love Spike. I think that he is so love good Spike. on everything. And I know I don't know what camp he's in or what he seems to kind of not really be in one of them to me. I'm not really sure, but I get inspired when I hear him talk. Every time we talk to him, I'm just I, I'm. I just. I don't even. I don't even know. I like leave my body while I'm thinking about how <laughs> positive the future is going to be while he's talking about stuff. You know, and so I really. I, I know that the media attention. There's a really big differential between those two things, and that and that is important.
2: But I really hope he stays around in the party for Absolutely. a long time. <laughs> oh yeah, and, and sure. he's young, and he's going to. Um, but that that by itself is is another big change. You know, the, the, like the. The Libertarian Party doesn't really produce stars. Mm-hmm. You know, like the last time we had a star was Harry Brown. Um, and he, his star was already burning before he ever came into the party. But, you know, I'll still claim him. Mm-hmm. But that was 20 years ago or 22 years yeah. ago. You know, who's been the star that... Because, like, who, who are all the Libertarian stars other than that? It's Ron Paul. It's Thomas Massey. It's Rand Paul. It's, it's, it's all this kind of stuff. So, like, we don't produce our own stars, or we haven't. But now we are. And I'm, I'll do a shameless plug. Spike was never supposed to win the vice presidential role. We swung that, uh, and and a lot of people thought that we were going to support Larry Sharp. And then we did a uh, like a town hall with the vice presidential candidates, and we're the Mises Caucus. So one of the questions was, "What is Austrian economics?" And uh, you know, there's kind of like, well, it's, you know, it's free markets, and mm-hmm. you know, like, and, and you know, nothing about the, like the actual methodology that separates or anything like that, except Spike. Spike was the only one that knew. That ended up swinging our support. Spike got the, the the vice presidential role, and now you know that has manifested into all of this. You said you don't know where Spike is. Tell me this isn't like a massive improvement across the board for the party. From my observation, the moderates. So, like, if you wanted to use like certain people as archetypes, um, I would say the moderates are represented by um, Justin Amash. The middle. This is the craziest change. The middle is represented by Spike. And then mm-hmm. we are the radicals. Yeah, I can see that for sure. If spikes the middle,
1: that's good. That's the pretty good. Yeah, good like that's pretty good. Yeah. 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 So why? How about this? Why? Uh, why Mises? Uh, you know why not? Um, I don't know any any Fine. any oh, of the name, other name ones, huh? Yeah, name wise Why? Why Mises? I just I've always
2: wondered why so, that specific. So it for me it was between uh, Mises and and Ron Paul, um, but I ultimately landed on Mises because there would be no Ron Paul without Mises. Um, and, and like, that's Ron's own words. Um, and basically Mises is the godfather of, of the Austrian libertarian tradition. Uh, and you know, within libertarian, uh, terms, it's a big tent tradition. You know, it's, it it goes from classical liberals like Mises himself, all the way to like covenant community anarchists like, uh, like Hoppe. Um, so, I would say that we are Mises in the same way that the the Mises Institute is Mises. We're not 100% too Mises the person. You know, we're not utilitarians, for example. But um, it's that he is the godfather of the tradition that we are all a part of. I've just always wondered that, so I'm glad
1: to know now. It's fun to say, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can, uh, uh, I will embarrassingly say, I don't think I've, actually read any Mises. I'm sorry.
0: I'm really Most sorry. People, uh, there's a lot of people that say they've read him and they don't. Yeah, I it's will okay. just admit uh, right
1: now I have not. In fact, I'm a pretty bad libertarian when it comes to that because the farthest I've gone, I, I'm Rand is my favorite. Uh, it, I've read, I don't like any, I don't like, uh, I really don't like any fiction material, so I mm-hmm. have not read Atlas Shrugged or I haven't read, i just haven't, but all of the essays and everything, like I just listen to those yeah. on repeat on my on my Audible. And we talked last time; you said that would mean that I would align with the other part of the Libertarian Party more than more than likely when it came to uh, to Ayn Rand. I was asking like, who? Who's oh, with objectivity and all that. Yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> it, it does fall that way sometimes, but yeah. oddly enough, um, mm-hmm. it's it's a weird. I've, I'm almost at a point of, of just smashing paradigms at this point. Um, <laughs> but uh, that that does seem to happen sometimes, but not really. Um, a lot of it ends up. Mental consistency, intellectual consistency, and um, reconciling thoughts. in, in my view of, of what we've had as a party, um, like I uh, sitting here with you two guys, I don't, I don't see or feel any tension based off of who our favorite writers are. I mean, hell, <laughs> I, I could say C.S. Lewis or Chesterton or whatever yeah. favorite writers. Yeah. Like that's just being an individual human.
2: I, I will give a recommendation though. If you've never read Mises and you don't want to jump right into the super dense stuff the two books I like recommending are the theory of money and credit and the anti-capitalistic mentality. Okay. Uh, the anti-capitalistic mentality is Mises from every, now I've never read like all of his books. I mean, you know, but, but of, of the Mises that I have read, that's the most punchy. Um, you know, he really doesn't like socialism or the, um, mindsets that animate socialism, let's say. So, um, that's a fun read. And then the theory of money and credit is kind of what his first foundational work on like, the separation of money and state, the nature of money as a, as a free market phenomenon. But what's so fun about that book is, like, I came from Ron Paul. I'm a huge, huge Ron Paul fanboy. And you really start to see where Ron came from when you read mm. Theory of Money and Credit. You start to almost hear Ron in that book, concepts that he would put out. And-
1: yeah. Um, the other, so I asked uh, Angela this the other, the other day, and uh, I wanted to get your guys' take on it. So we had the split. In the party. And I'll be honest, I've pretty much stayed out of it the, the whole time, uh, mainly because I was like, really, we have to fractionate down <laughs> s- smaller. I feel like it's already kind of small, you know, and so I really wish we could all just get along. What I asked her was, is there any path or interest in a path to any unification, reunification with any of
2: the old? Depends on what you mean by the term. Yeah. Um, I want to unify with them, but I, I have a different understanding of what I mean by that. First of all, anybody who is a liar and a slanderer, like, no, fuck them. We have to raise our standards. We don't yeah. want them here. We, yeah. want, we, want pro- we want productive people here. We want people here who want the best for the party. And that really is the thing that ought to be above all of us. Um, so ha- here's how I want to unify with them. I want to unify with them in friendly competition. You don't have to like us. You don't have to agree with our strategy. Um, and I would invite you to, you know, kind of create your own vision, your own marketing strategy, your own messaging strategy, your own long-term strategic goal, all of that stuff, and then compete with us. And you know what? There might be things that we're wrong about that they're right about. We won't. We don't even know that right now. We can't have shared consensus until we kind of sharpen each other's iron. So, like, I want to encourage the best out of everybody that's in the party that's not us. I, I think we should. Where I really think we should unify is demotivating the worst of us you know what i mean mm-hmm. and 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 kind of letting the cream rise to the top and we'll we'll you know like i'm down to lose but compete with me yeah, I just I, you see, like in the Republican Party, what is it, the Freedom
1: Caucus or something? Mm. They have stuff like that. Well, they're Allegedly. still, they're still. I mean, <laughs> it's kind of a kind of a joke. It seems like, but you know, you get some maybe more liberty-oriented oriented people in there, and they can still work together, and they can vote on you know Republican things if they want to. And what I would really like to see is uh, the Libertarians working together towards a common goal, and we. Maybe we accept the fact that we have a difference in messaging style. You know, we, we have, so we have big differences in that, but we all want the same thing, right? Mm. Like we want to decrease the size and the power of the state. And then yeah. we've got a lot of work to do to get to that point right there. So wouldn't it be good if, okay, we disagree on the messaging,
2: but we work together on some stuff too. Yeah. And I, and I would fully own that. Um, the onus right now is on us to prove a lot of stuff because we took over the party and we, frankly, took over the party in bombastic fashion. Um, we have a lot of responsibility on us. We have a lot to prove. Um, so, you know, we need to kind of do that and earn over the skeptics. And right now how we're doing that is we recently just launched a website, um, called runaslibertarian.com And basically this is our effort to like, remember I outlined the, the 4 prong strategy and I said like 80% of the effort has kind of gone into the takeover. That's because we had to, Rescue the brand, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so like we had to rescue the brand. Now that's been done. Now we have to scale up the other stuff. So, runislibertarian.com is basically our effort to recruit people to run specifically for these offices of city council, sheriff, mayor, judge, school board, and um, you know we're already putting trainings together to get them ready for twenty three and start running in twenty three. This is this is a kind of program that a lot of people in the libertarian party did not see coming from us because we're the ideologues you know Mm -hmm. what i mean we're we're the radical ideologues we just care about twitter and all this crap it's like no we actually do want to scale up this other stuff and and that's what we're doing so that's what i mean like compete with us you got a better program i want to see it i think incorporating like a a young americans for liberty type strategy into
1: getting libertarians elected because they've been well, I
2: mean, the people that get elected,
1: a lot of them are Libertarians. They're just running as mm-hmm. Republicans. So know. that's that's what this uh, is. We're yeah.
2: Basically, we're trying to get candidates to run for these local-level offices, um, get people trained, get people trained on how to win these types of races. And I actually view what we as the LP and as Libertarians are doing is very synergistic to uh, what Young Americans for Liberty is doing. Um, you know, sorry to get grim, but, like, I personally believe that there will eventually be some kind of reckoning for the dollar in the economy. Um, And if you really believe that like, like I do, the federal stuff is almost a a completely sunk cost. There's not really much point to it. Um, So then let's say that comes to pass. I think that's going to present us as a country with a choice, particularly the States, a choice of, are we going to reject what the state says is the answer to this calamity that they have inflicted upon us? or are we gonna uh, gonna accept that or are we gonna reject it? I think the best chance that we have to reject it is to make sure that we get liberty-minded people elected at the state level, and then again at the local level. So what does Young Americans for Liberty do? They focus on liberty Republicans running for state house. Mm -hmm. We come up behind them and start cleaning up at this local level. We all can come together to nullify, and I think that would give us the best infrastructure possible to when that all comes to pass to say, no, I know exactly what happened here. Freedom did not do this. You and the Federal Reserve did this, and no, we're not doing it. Send the army. We're not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I like. I like actually hearing a, a
1: plan because that is part of my reservation. Is like, okay, so we got the takeover. We're we going to do post dank memes now. Like that's yeah. that's kind of the, the the goal. But it seems
0: like there's actually a. Plan. It should also be noted the people involved in the training that are teaching are people that have won. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. No it's it's not like a bunch of folks with a, 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 a overhead projector <laughs> game planning the ultimate John Gruden play. Like these are people that have won as libertarians nationwide. Um, because I already know asterisks the footnote. Well, what do they know about winning? <laughs> these are people that have won elections, mm-hmm. hard types of campaigns.
2: races that we're targeting. They're people who yeah. have won those yeah. races. So yeah. we're developing, we're both developing in house training to kind of get the community teaching the community but we're also leaning on outside organizations like the Leadership Institute and gonna be doing monthly training. So like we've already got something like 120 signups to run as libertarian.com. That's, some of that's candidates, some of that's campaign managers, but we're getting these people, we're doing monthly training starting this month to get them ready for races next year. So then the idea is we, we get as many of these candidates running as possible, we get them trained, we get them used to door knocking, campaigning, all of that. That leads us into 24 with Dave. People are now maximally ready for for that campaign. Dave gets the support of all these different figures that should give us more attention and more uh, energy than we've ever gotten, that that those people come in. We now have an organizational infrastructure that has never existed in the party. What is, historically what's happened with the party with these presidential races is they're more or less glorified jobs programs. Um, they, they, they don't organize these people, they just get them to like, Go get the get out the vote. Mm-hmm. Um, so then there's no effort to actually recruit them. So like Jorgensen, for example, to her credit or her team's credit, there was like multiple Facebook groups for Jorgensen that had like 60,000 people in it, 80,000 people in it. But there was absolutely no recruitment effort whatsoever to this captive audience. They were just wanted them to get out the vote. Then the campaign ends, the donations stop, the staffer stop getting paid, the effort stops. And then these people who were all bright eyed of like, Joe Jorgensen's going to get us 12%. Mm-hmm. You know, they see 1.4. What the fuck did I just waste my time with? And, 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 and it just dissipates. With our organizational infrastructure, the idea is that, you know, we get this training, we get, we get used to these candidate pains. You use the president for the message and energy and recruitment. And then what are they recruiting into? A ready-made community of people. Yeah, And that we then funnel down into this local decentralization tactic.
0: Community is key. That's something that people uh, don't realize, and Mike told me about it, and it's been infectious. I mean, tomorrow night we're getting together at a local cigar bar of probably 20 or 30 guys that meet every week as a result of these
2: efforts. I only smoke blunts, by the way. <laughs> no, 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 no cigars. But, but like,
0: the community aspect is something, because everybody thinks, you know, Captain Rambo, individualist, libertarian, caricature the the community aspect is something it's it's vital and it's a lifeblood and that's something that that i saw and that's why i got in the party was the sense of community through the caucus of everybody being energized that uh, mike can speak more to this it's been completely organic and that's one of the most overlooked things is a sense of belonging and community that people it's human nature
1: that's well, one of the things by the way that made me really like what lptn was doing mm-hmm. was getting out in the community and, totally and helping people like that Man, I still didn't do it. I guess maybe I'm just lazy is the thing. But that was like the closest I came to joining a state party yeah. right there. Because you tell me I I can go out and do like charitable work yeah. basically for people like that. Voluntary you a, stuff. Yeah. Like if you're not hanging your hat on winning these major elections and everything and you just think, well, this is all going to be a disappointment, the waste of my time and all that. Well, what makes it not a waste mm-hmm. of your time going out and helping people? You know, that means that you're actually doing something that has some meaning and some purpose behind it. And you don't have to worry about this whole idea. Of, well, I'm just going to go put signs out there and it's going to be a waste of my yeah. time. Who cares? Check a
0: box on a list of yeah, things to do. No, you're, you're totally right. And and I'll say this, Dave Jones, I, I wanted him to run again because he's, he's phenomenal. He's one of the best neutral folks. Keeps the temperature low. Big on outreach. Big on community. You don't get much more Tennessee than Dave Jones. Um, and, and he's not going to run again for, for state chair because of... of uh, different reasons and stuff um, but I want to I want Dave to stick around if anything as the as the uh, community outreach guy because mm-hmm. he's so good at it and it's vital I mean voluntary solutions whether it be local you know backpack drives whatever not on the taxpayer dole I love and in and in the state of Tennessee you know people hear the word takeover and they think a negative connotation to the word when I hear takeover I hear invigoration empowering uh, supplying needed training, reinvigorating the people that have been grinding at the wheel nonstop and are on the verge of getting burned out. That's what we think of here in Tennessee when we think about takeover. And it's been beautiful just to see folks just coming in. Um, I'm from biblical background, so I think, you know, it's, it's surrounding, surrounding the leadership with doers and not so much sayers because too, too long, man, the party has been very, very college football esque. in the fact that it's 22 people on the field and 20,000 in the stands, Mm-hmm. Bitching and moaning, yeah. um, about the product on the field while not getting engaged. We're changing that, and it's from a cultural level, and so I'm pretty damn excited about it. That's a good time to mention that you're running for. State I chair. am running for state uh, chair of LPTN. It's not because I wanted to. Uh, <laughs> you know, I wanted other people to do it, but I, I viewed it as something that um, we've got a beautiful vision as we've went over the past hour, mm-hmm. uh, game plan, a beautiful website to. Empower electable cannabis, cannabis. yeah, that's it. Electable, <laughs> electable candidates in winnable races, and um, it's something that we want to be able to do. We don't want to keep throwing spaghetti at the wall. We want to be making the spaghetti and selling it for profit. As <laughs> as an analogy, there. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's awesome. We'll probably wrap
1: up here, but uh, Mike, like, what? Can you just can you just get me to join real quick? I need the elevator pitch right now, and for everyone else, I told the same thing. To, to Angela when she was on. There's a lot of people like me that are out there that are, that are on the fence that are libertarian as hell. You know, just couldn't get more libertarian if they tried. And unfortunately, they've become so libertarian that they refuse to get, uh, get some kind of label put on, put on them, you know? And maybe that's where I've gotten stuck right now. So what is it that needs to push me over the edge or other people too?
2: As Josiah said, I think it's the, uh, the community element. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you were a part of the Ron Paul revolution, but before we ever had a pack, before we ever took over the party, before any of this stuff happened, um, the main thing that I was really after was A, holy shit, we can't let Bill Weld be the presidential nominee in 2020, <laughs> and B, um, I want that feeling back that, that I had with the Ron Paul thing. I, I want that sense of community. I want that feeling where every time I meet a new libertarian, it's, it's, it's like I, may, I meet a new best friend. We have that now and that community element is something that has been noticeably missing from the Libertarian Party for a long time. I think that combined with the fact that we are entering into an unprecedented time, uh, both politically and economically, uh, with, with, uh, issues that matter to us, you know, libertarians are the only people out there who are right on money, you know, and, and that's why we have to come out on our own terms, um, and, and own that. And, uh, that is a, we're in a moment in time right now where this is all coming together. You know, the economy is collapsing, the uh, the inflation's out of control, the culture war is at a peak, and it's all happening at just exactly the same time that, you know, the the corporate press is falling, we have access to, to affect the narrative and all that stuff. So um, it's all very like grave, you know, it almost like the setup is almost like a movie, you know, and it's like, um, we're the only people like it's just us, we're, we're the only ones who are right and it's incumbent upon us to come out and do this. So that would be my pitch, is be a part of being on the right side of history, be a part of, of this community, be a part of the reclamation of, of liberty in this country, you know, or at least go down fighting for it. No. Yeah.
0: I, uh, I say it very simply, D- decision-making, I view in Venn diagrams, um, sometimes you make decisions because they make you feel good, and sometimes you make decisions because they're doing good. And we're in such a pivotal moment in history right now, that Venn diagram perfectly overlaps and that's joining the Libertarian party. I like it. That was good. You appealed to my,
1: <laughs> the scientific part of my mind right there. I like it. Okay. I'm not going to do it right now on the show, but we'll talk about it in a bit and I'll let everyone know. All right, guys, thank you so much for coming over here. It's getting hot in this room. So we got to get out of here. You know what Nellie right. said. And what website
2: do people need to go to to join? Uh, so go to lpmesiscaucus.com if you want to, you know, if you like the platform I'm talking about, the strategy I'm talking about, runaslibertarian.com. And if you just want to join the Libertarian Party, lp.org slash join.
1: Lptn.com slash join. All right, Josiah, Michael, thank you guys. Appreciate it.